Hello, and thank you for joining me for another episode of the Mark 4-9 podcast. I'm your host, Reginald Benneker. Our topic today is called The Sevenfold Spirit of the Alpha and Omega. Please grab your Bible and turn with me now to the book of Revelation, also known as the Revelation of Yeshua, Jesus Christ, to Yohanan, John the Apostle, a.k.a. John the Beloved, son of Zebedee, and youngest brother to the Apostle James, who were both known as the Sons of Thunder and disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. First off, in Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, we read, This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. From the sevenfold spirit before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, he is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead, and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins, by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests, for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Excerpt. Now the province of Asia, as mentioned earlier, was a Roman province, in what is now western Turkey. And the seven churches, which is later mentioned in chapters 2 and 3, consist of Ephesus, which is Greek for permitted, Smyrna, which means myrrh, and is a spice, oil, or perfume that was used for embalming bodies, Pergamum, height or elevation, Thyatira, odor of affliction, Sardis, red ones, Philadelphia, brotherly love, and Laodicea, justice of the people. Okay, now this is cool. And for those into astronomy, otherwise known as the study of stars, if you take a map of the seven churches and place a transparency map of the seven sisters, also known as Pallades, over the seven churches, their alignment matches out perfectly in geographical location, which is just another miraculous sign of our Lord and Savior, just like the lemonin cross molecule which helps us to hold up our structure. But maybe that's for a different time, as my main focus today is on the Alpha and Omega. In regrettable contradiction, however, there is a saying usually referenced in occultic practice, where they say, as above, so below, and fall prey to the worship and servitude of the things the Lord God has created, rather than the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. As stated in Romans, Chapter 1, verse 25. For God detests false worship and the worship of false idols, and we should never mourn, stifle, or rival the spirit of the Almighty, lest we be snuffed out and end in the underworld, like that of Korah and his co-conspirators. Reference in the book of Numbers, chapter 16, verses 31 through 33. Okay, now, in Matthew, chapter 7, Verses 1-2, through two, we read, Judge not, lest you be judged. For with what judgment you judge, and with what measure you use, it will be measured unto you. Now you might say to me, But wait, didn't Jonah judge Nineveh? And you'd be sort of right. For in his judgment he ran from the Lord of Heaven's armies, who later corrected Jonah of his condemnation. And as Nineveh was warned of God's wrath, the great city turned from their wicked ways, and turn to the Most High. For as James chapter 4, 
verses 11 through 12 states, Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. For your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone, who gave the law, is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. Romans 2.16 However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear the name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 16-19 through 19. For the Lord is our judge, our lawgiver, and our king. He will care for us and save us. Isaiah Chapter 33, verse 22. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey His commands. For this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verses 13 through 14. Let's move forward, shall we? In regards to the sevenfold spirit, which can be found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, verse 2, it states, The spirit of Adonai will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and power, the spirit of knowledge and fearing Adonai. So here we have the spirit of the Most High, Adonai, which if you observe the text in Revelation, chapter 1, verses 17 through 18, Christ states, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. Amen. I have the keys of death and of Sheol. Now, I know I might be stepping on some toes here. However, if we look at biblical text, we serve a triune God. Take, for example, the name Elohim in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 where it reads, In God, Elohim, Messiah pre-incarnate, the living word, the many-powered, the creator, said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Elohim is actually a plural noun indicated by the I am, as in cherubim and seraphim. Now, our Lord Yeshua is beyond human comprehension, and the false prophets who try to preach him either put the Lord Most High in a box or disregard him altogether. Take, for instance, Mormonism, where they list and degrade Christ as the spiritual brother to Lucifer, which is the lie of dualism, yin and yang and the nonsense of as above, so below, like I mentioned earlier. 
And sadly, Jehovah's Witnesses also lower Christ's divinity, disregarding what it says in Hebrews chapter 1. And they compare Christ, the Most High, to that of Michael the Archangel. Now the religion of Islam lowers Christ's sanctity even more, degrading his Godhead completely, where Christ is listed as just a mere prophet, and a minor one at that, especially compared to their false prophet, Muhammad, whom in turn, along with his followers, still to this day, worship their false god, Allah, otherwise known as Baal, Baal, also known as Baalzebub, which means the Lord of the Flies, as the Canaanite false deity of the title Baal means Lord, small l, and Zebub, which means of the flies, which is also another name for the Prince of Demons. These are some prime examples of human catastrophe. Just look at the historical evidence and in what these false religions believe. Now, some of you might inquire, well, if God is triune, how are we made in God's image? And that, my friend, is a very good question. You see, you are a trichotomy, categorized into three different parts, which make up your whole self. You have your mind, i.e., your soul, which in Hebrew is called nefesh, body, your physical self, bazar, and spirit, ruach, your etheric self. See 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23 as well as Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. But the Holy One, Yeshua, God is salvation, is spiritually endowed with the sevenfold Holy Spirit. Now the number seven, according to John MacArthur's commentary, is the number of completeness. And in addition to Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2, I am going to cite the words of Joseph Benson's commentary. And the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Ghost, by which he was anointed, Acts 10.38, and by whose power his human nature was formed in the womb of the Virgin, Luke 1.35, shall rest upon him, shall not only come upon him at certain times, as it came upon the prophets, but shall have its constant and settled abode in him the spirit of wisdom and understanding. It is not needful exactly to distinguish these two gifts. It is sufficient that they are necessary qualifications for a governor and a teacher, and it is evident that they signify perfect knowledge of all things necessary for his own and people's good, and a sound judgment to distinguish between things that differ. The spirit of counsel and might of prudence to give good counsel, and of might and courage to execute it, the spirit of knowledge, of the perfect knowledge, of the whole will and counsel of God, as also of all secret things, yea, of the hearts of men, fear of the Lord, a fear of reverence, a care to please him, and aversion to offend him. 1. The Spirit of the Lord. In general, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Holy Spirit, and all his gifts and graces shall not only come, but rest and abide upon him. He shall have the Spirit not by measure, but without measure, 
the fullness of the Godhead dwelling in him. Colossians chapter 1 verse 19 and Colossians chapter 2 verse 9. In fact, in Luke chapter 4 verse 18, we read that he who is the Christ began his ministry by citing, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. 2. The Spirit of Wisdom The Spirit producing wisdom, or in making him wise. Wisdom consists in the choice of the best means to secure the best ends. This attribute is often given to the Messiah in the New Testament, and was always evidenced by him. See 1 Kings 3.9. Solomon prayed for wisdom and understanding. The administrative skill to govern the people in righteousness and justice. Compare 1 Corinthians 1.30, Ephesians 1.17, Colossians 2.3, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 3. The Spirit of Understanding The difference between the words here rendered wisdom and understanding is that the former denotes wisdom properly, and the latter that judgment resulting from the wisdom by which we distinguish things or decide on their character. Wisdom and understanding, also known as discernment, are the fundamental intellectual qualifications of a judge or ruler. See Deuteronomy 1.13 and 1 Kings 3.12. 4. The Spirit of Counsel Authoritative plans and decisions are in view here. Human counsel may or may not be in accord with God's plan. See Isaiah chapter 30 verse 1. But the Messiah's counsel is by the Spirit. For God is Spirit, so those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. John 4 verse 24. Proverbs 21 verse 30. There is no wisdom nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. 5. The Spirit of Might Strength, Vigor, Energy That strength of heart and purpose, which will enable a man to meet difficulties, to encounter dangers, to be bold, open, and fearless in the discharge of his duties. It is not necessary to remark that this characteristic was found in an eminent degree in the Lord Jesus Christ. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5 Counsel and Might Counsel is the faculty of adapting means to ends or of forming right resolutions. Might, the energy necessary to carry them through. 6. The Spirit of Knowledge this refers to wise and submissive living in accordance with the will of God. See Isaiah 33.6, Isaiah 53.11, for it is a perfection of God. See Isaiah chapter 40, verse 14. Job chapter 36, verses 2 through 5, from the words of Elihu. Bear with me a little, and I will show you. For I still have something to say on God's behalf. I will get my knowledge from afar, and will ascribe righteousness to my Maker. For truly my words are not false. One who is perfect in knowledge is with you. Behold, God is mighty, and doesn't despise anyone. He is mighty, 
in strength of understanding. 7. In the spirit of reverence, in fearing Adonai, is the foundation for wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and power, the spirit of knowledge. See Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Fear of the Lord and or fearing God includes obeying His commandments because of faith that the Lord will keep His threats against transgressors. Of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, it seems necessary here to take knowledge as equivalent to knowledge of Yahweh, for it is the insight into His character and His moral claims on men. Fear of Yahweh is the idea for piety, which in turn make up the expression of a pure and undefiled religion. See James chapter 1 verse 27. And if we read Exodus chapter 20 verse 20, it states, For it is the fear of Adonai that keeps us from sinning. Therefore serve the Lord with reverent fear, and rejoice with trembling. Psalm chapter 2 verse 11. For this is how we work out our salvation. Philippians 2.12 For it is our actions that make our faith complete. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. James chapter 2 verses 22 and 26 Which I like what Stephen Lawson once said, and I quote, We actually are saved by works but not by our works, rather by the works of another, by the finished works of Jesus Christ. For it is by grace, God's remarkable compassion and favor drawing you to Christ, that you have been saved, actually delivered from judgment and given eternal life, through faith. And this salvation is not of yourself, not through your own effort, but is the undeserved, gracious gift of God not as a result of your works, nor your attempts to keep the law, so that no one will be able to boast or take credit in any way for his salvation. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 9. Henceforth, in Matthew chapter 10 verse 28, Christ stated, Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And in Job, chapter 28, verse 28, Yahweh, Christ pre-incarnate, also said unto mankind, The fear of the Lord is true wisdom, and to turn away and to forsake evil is real understanding. For in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 30, Yeshua stated, I and the Father are one. Also, in chapter 8, verse 58, as well as chapter 18, verse 5, Christ stated, I am, which is the exact reference to the Godhead, Yahweh, found in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verse 14. And as previously cited, please see commentary from Matthew Henry, Albert Barnes, the Cambridge Bible, as well as R.C. Sproul's Reformed Study Bible which can all be found on Bible Gateway and Bible Hub, along with different comparative Bible versions also found on Bible.com. So in conclusion, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. 
Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. 1 Timothy 1.15 For the gospel is Yeshua crucified, resurrected, and ascended. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are saved and those who are being saved know it is the very power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18 You see, we are all wretched sinners, desperate and in need of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one true God. That if we acknowledge and confess with our mouth that Yeshua is Lord, recognizing His power, authority, and majesty as God, and believe in our heart that the Father raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. See Romans 10.9 For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10.13 See also Joel 2.32 and Acts 2.21 And Christ also states in John 15.5 I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. And may we meet him soon, Christ the true King.